Hello and welcome to another episode of Over the Outrage, where we will be subverting the outrage industrial complex one episode at a time. I'm your host, Brittany, and I just wanted to give a special thanks to Kite Flying Robot for that clip of music that I'm now using as the, the intro to the show. Um, that is from their song, Little Red Phone Booth, off of the album Solid Gold. Uh, you can find Kite Flying Robot on YouTube or wherever you get your music. Um, that song in particular has been out for almost 10 years, uh, I want to say. Um, and it's a song that I've loved ever since the first time I heard it. Um, I actually first heard it live at a show in Oklahoma City at the Farmer's Market at the Momentum Art Show featuring young artists, um, and they were playing that year. And I loved that song from the first time I heard it. I was already involved in politics at the time that I heard it. And so that that refrain of, it's just a filthy machine, really always stuck with me. And I'm so glad to be able to, to get to feature that in, in a show where we're you know, kind of looking behind the curtain at, at the filthy machine that is the outrage industrial complex, or what I call that. We'll get into that in just a little bit. I do want to start with a little news. Um, the timing of this show, I guess, couldn't be better. Um, one of the main purveyors of outrage uh, over the last few decades in America uh, passed away this week, um, Rush Limbaugh. Um, I don't want to spend too much time on Rush because I don't don't want to get too personal um, after somebody recently passed away. Um, but suffice it to say that, you know, his legacy is clear um, and that his legacy is one of leaving uh, hours and hours and hours and hours of content to millions of listeners uh, purveying bogus outrages of the day um, and helping to further create the political climate we have today. Um, I was actually just reading an uh, article that was written by former Minnesota Senator Al Franken uh, d discussing Rush Limbaugh, and you know he posits that uh, without Rush Limbaugh being on the air for all those years and moving the the conservative political movement to that logical extreme that that without that we don't have Trump and you know I I don't think he's wrong there um I think that's very much accurate um and I think that America's probably in a better place without him remaining on the air. Um, even just after the January 6th insurrection, uh, Rush Limbaugh got on the radio on January 7th and said, quote, There's a lot of people out there calling for the end of violence. A lot of conservatives. Social media who say that any violence or aggression at all is unacceptable regardless of the circumstance. I'm glad Sam Adams, Thomas Paine, the actual Tea Party guys, the men at Lexington and Concord, didn't feel that way, end quote. That rhetoric 
is the rhetoric that leads to the end of democracy. And as I've alluded to in the prior episode, um, I do view us as being in a moment in world politics at the world level, um, and here in America specifically, where we do have a growing fight between democracy and autocracy. Um, We have achieved a slight reprieve from the autocrats here in America. Um, But as that Rush Limbaugh quote from January 7th shows, these folks aren't going away quietly, and this rhetoric is not going to tame down soon. Um, In other news, I also want to send my thoughts to those in Texas and Oklahoma. Um, I know that that you guys specifically are dealing with some of the worst impacts of this uh, February winter storm that brought some record cold to that region. Um, There's a whole lot of reasons why it seems that Texas is even worse off than Oklahoma. Um, But my thoughts are with you guys. I know I know it's difficult, and I know I've ribbed you guys, uh, some of you, over the last few years that know me, um, having lived in Minnesota for the last four years, that I've gotten a little more used to this cold weather. But I, I do understand how how much different that impacts an area that's not set up for it. So um, hang in there. Um, it looks like warmer days are ahead very soon. Um, so I, I do wish you all well down there. On to the topic at hand. What is the outrage industrial complex? Well, it's complicated, but it's simple. And it's simple in that it ultimately comes down to money. And basically, my my thesis is this. um, That advocacy organizations and political parties and news networks and media sources, they all rely on keeping the money flowing. And, you know, people stop watching when things are calm. People stop responding to emails seeking money when their rights aren't under attack. People, you know, think they can go about their lives and not pay attention to politics. Well, then you got to drag them in. And I know this better than most as, as somebody who's worked in the political field since 2008 in various forms. Um, and having been a candidate for office myself. And... Shortly after I ran for the Oklahoma legislature in 2010, there were a couple of advocacy organizations that I had had been involved with, and I strongly considered making a run at trying to become an executive director of some of those organizations. And, you know, ultimately what really led me away from it was I didn't want to be a part of that fundraising system. Um because 
the policy matters to me, and how we get to that policy also matters to me. And there was something about fundraising that didn't ever sit right with me, and I just I couldn't bring myself to do it. Um, I, I raised funds just well enough when I, when I ran for my own office, but, but in my own race, I had the benefit of an extreme candidate on the other side of my race who, um, she was known for some very extremist rhetoric, uh, particularly her gays are a bigger threat to America than terrorists rhetoric, that allowed me to, to, to run as, as a reasonable alternative who was not pushing that kind of rhetoric. Um, so I, I chose that race carefully because, um, you know, I didn't want to get into politics the wrong way. And, and I say all that not to hold myself up as perfect. I am sure that I have purveyed outrage on my social media from time to time. I'm sure I've purveyed it in various fundraising efforts of my own. And that's why I say, despite it being simple and coming down to money, it's also complicated And that, you know, the folks running these advocacy organizations and running our political parties, many of them have, their, have the best, um, you know, ideals at heart when, when they set out to uh, accomplish these goals. And, you know, certainly I think, you know, anybody who's running an LGBT advocacy organization or an environmental advocacy organization, a gun rights organization, uh, a healthcare rights organization, a reproductive rights organization, you name it, Anybody in any of those organizations, no matter where you sit on the political spectrum, is likely to believe they're doing it for the right reasons. Um, but we all also understand that, you know, we, you know, we've, we've all heard the saying, do the ends justify the means? And I would posit that because of our structure of uh, advocacy organizations relying on on fundraising efforts and uh, because of political parties requiring that that fundraising effort that that it ne necessitates a heightening of rhetoric because I know when I when I ran for office and when I've you know helped other campaigns the emails that get the most fundraising, aren't the emails that say, hi, nice to meet you. They tend to be things that, hey, if you don't do this, your rights are under attack. Um, you know, that's going to get a lot more play than, hey, I'm out to change this one policy that affects one half of 1% of the population, but will make a substantial difference in their lives. You know, that doesn't sound sexy. Um, so, so people don't pay as much attention to that. Um, and, and so it's also, you know, it's also on us as, as consumers of news, as, um, folks who support political parties and political advocacy organizations, you know, when we respond to that, to the outraged email and give money and, 
you know, just delete the email that doesn't seem outraged, we also take part in that. So, so when I'm examining this, I, I don't want you to think I'm, I'm using outrage industrial complex in a simplistic way to just mean we can just blame that and that's the cause of all our problems and okay, you know, that we're done with it. You know, I, I get upset when people just blame the quote-unquote media. Like, well, which media? You know, it, the last I checked in America, there's hundreds of media outlets presenting hundreds of viewpoints. Um, so oftentimes I, I think people make lazy determinations of, you know, they just use a, a big word or, you know, a simple word to just kick the can down the road. Um, and that's not what I'm doing here. I, I hope here to be fostering a rational and calm discussion about what we face. Um, and so that is a little bit of an introduction to what I mean by outrage industrial complex. It's not a lazy both sides take. It's a fact that we got to wrestle with because as you know, as long as as long as we're on an economy that runs on money, political organizations and advocacy organizations are also going to run on money. And so how do we look at that and explore that and view the current political debate through that lens so we can get behind the outrage and and get to some real solutions that will make real differences in real lives. In future episodes, I want to really explore that further, look at where that rhetoric has led elsewhere in the world. I want to explore how that rhetoric may ultimately help further autocracy over democracy, um, as well as uh, having guests on. I want to have some guests to discuss policy in calm, rational way. Um, I particularly want to highlight the work of folks in non-coastal states, particularly not California and New York. No offense, guys. We love you, but you know, pretty much every TV show, website, radio show, you name it, New York and California, we got you covered. Um, but what we don't often hear about is the policies in the places like Oklahoma and Minnesota and Texas, this big swath of the middle of the country where a whole lot of people live. And and now we're seeing, you know, it's it's quite, quite, you know, in real time right now, if, you, if we look at Texas, um, we can see the result of policies based on outrageous rhetoric. Um, I, I don't know how much you all have, have read on this, but uh, there are several articles out there now. I was reading one in the Washington Post that a big reason why so many folks, I think it's still over 3 million as of recording this today here on, um, on Thursday, uh, February 18th. Um, 3 million Texans are without power still. It's still cold there. Um, just barely getting above freezing today. And 
a big reason why they they had worse power failures than Oklahoma is that Oklahoma's connected to the national grid and Oklahoma had some regulation requiring some winterizing of their grid. Whereas Texas um, specifically designed their electric grid to not go intra interstate and instead is intrastate to prevent being federally regulated. And they decided to do away with any kind of winterizing re uh, requirements. And so, you know, pipes leading to power plants, pipes leading to homes, um, all these things, none of them were winterized or ready for this kind of cold weather. And while it, it may seem, okay, yeah, we, we hardly ever get cold weather, so why waste money on it? But, well, you, you spend the money on it because an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Um, you know, the fact is that had had they planned better, you know, it would be less costly right now and they'd have less of a disaster on their hands. People wouldn't be freezing in their homes. Um, and now we have a humanitarian disaster because of policy based on outrageous rhetoric, not based in, in reality or, you know, calm, rational discussion. Um, and, you know, just to bring it back to that uh, Al Franken article I, I started with, you know, he ended his he ended his article on, on Rush Limbaugh with this paragraph that I think is um, very important and, you know, very timely in connecting with what we're exploring here in this show. Quote, The most dangerous problem facing America today is the existence of two universes of information. The second universe a universe of disinformation, has been expanding since 1989. Rush Limbaugh was the Big Bang. End quote. And, you know, that that's it, y'all. The, the reality is that, you know, we have a big misinformation system out there. Um, Rush Limbaugh represents somebody who pervade an outrage... Um, just to enrich himself as a grifter. Um, you know, he did it as entertainment, you know, so he never had to worry about the consequences of this. But, you know, when our country has, you know, 30,000 people willing to try to commit an insurrection at our U.S. Capitol, um, while that may be a relatively small number in compared to the 330 million people in the country, it's a real problem, and it's causing a real threat today, and it's infected our body politic, and it's something we're going to have to wrap our heads around, and hopefully together we can do that in places like here on this show. Um, so in the future, please feel free to find me on Twitter. I'm at Oklasotagal. Um, that's O-K-L-A-S-O-T-A-G-A-L. Uh, the show is at outrage underscore over on Twitter. Um, we're happy to, to get your questions. I want to definitely address those here in episodes. Um, 
I did receive one this week about whether I thought the the media could could quit Trump or or whether the fact they're continuing to run these statements from him means they can't quit him. Um, you know, just to I, I think I've mostly gone over that today, but I I will add to that question that in in response that. You know, while on the one hand, you know, the former president putting out a statement is newsworthy, um, they do have the discretion to ignore it when it's just bombastic rhetoric and a personal ad hominem attack on Senator McConnell. There's no need to cover that. But, um, you know, as, as I mentioned here earlier in the show, you know, some of that's on us. As, as consumers and, um, you know, we get the media we demand and, and we tend to click on those stories. And so, you know, is the media just giving us what we want? Um, you know, so what role do we have in that as well, I would add. Um, on that note, thank you so much for listening. Uh, I'll be back with you again uh, next Thursday. And, uh, Again, those folks in Texas and Oklahoma, keep your heads up. You're almost out of the worst of this. And uh, we'll talk next week. Thanks so much.